Welcome into the News for Jags podcast. I'm Jamal St. Cyr alongside Justin Barney. Justin, it's Victory Monday. And we have not been able to say that often. <laughs> it's usually a Monday where we're kind of surveying the damage on another one that got away. But this one, it was different and much needed for a Jaguars team that's uh, got a big one on deck next week against the Chiefs. And uh, then you go to the bye week. So you stack two wins. We talking playoffs? If you can stack two wins, then we do start talking playoffs, maybe, or at least hope for the playoffs. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but we'll talk a little bit about all that crazy game. Uh, look, at this point, we're just going to blame October for all the struggles because right. the five-game losing streak, all in the month of October. Absolutely. Go I'm to November, you. boom, 17-point hole. Ah, no problem. We got this covered. Come back. Second biggest comeback win in franchise history. I don't know if that says more about the fact that they were able to do it or the fact that the Jaguars just haven't had those sorts of wins ever. Yeah, and, <laughs> and again, I did not think coming out of the, the first quarter in that game that a comeback was in the cards. I don't think anyone Devontae did. Devontae Adams were absolutely uh, just sizzling for Derek Carr. I mean, 146 yards receiving at halftime in that game, two touchdowns, and you could not cover him at all. Tyson was getting abused, and just a complete role reversal after halftime. They came in in the third quarter and shut them down, and you know, it's it's not a Jaguars defense that we've asked to make big plays too often, but they did that. And then the offense, again, the inconsistency has hurt this team. And you saw that in the first quarter of that game, and they straightened out after that. And the second half of that game, they played flawlessly. Uh, outside of the Riley Patterson missed field goal, about as good as you could ask for that team. And for, for a team to come from 17 down, uh, albeit against the Raiders, still, uh, again, uh, NFL team. NFL uh, team. Very good. And it, it's not something we've seen from the Jags this year. Every game they've had is a close, kind of a slugfest, dogfight kind of game. And how would you respond? How are you going to respond if you're the Jaguars down 17 in such a big hole? You probably got fans leaving the game in the second quarter. And to their credit, they did. They found that rhythm. And uh, could this be kind of the page turner? The, the, the momentum builder for this Jaguars team that so desperately needs to stack those wins together. All right. If it, since this is Victory Monday, we're going to look at things glass half full. Hope. If you want hope, I got it for you. All Bring right? it. Bring the hope. So the Jaguars, this was the second biggest comeback in franchise history. The okay. previous or now the third biggest comeback in franchise history against the Baltimore Ravens, November 4th, 1996. Came back from trailing 15 points to win that game in overtime. Now, the reason this gives you some hope is because in 1996, nine weeks into the season, the team just happened to be three and six. And we know what happened that season and, for Jaguars fans. And they come out, they went into their bye week, come out of the bye week, they beat the Ravens once, then lost to the Steelers. That comeback against the Ravens spurs a five-game winning streak that carries them into the playoffs. Next thing you know, they're in the conference championship yes. with a shot at it against the Patriots. I'm not saying that they're going to get it done. I'm just saying there's some parallels and right. some history hey. that supports I it. I remember that season like it was yesterday, and I remember watching that Week 17 game against the Atlanta Falcons at TIA Bank Field, then Everbank Field. Morton Anderson lines up for a chip shot field goal and misses it, sends the Jaguars to the playoffs as a second-year franchise. 
and uh, they go on the road and beat the Buffalo Bills. They go on the road and beat the the uh, Denver, Broncos Denver Broncos at Mile High That's when right. John Elway was there. Beautiful touchdown pass from Brunel to Jimmy Smith, the end zone to put them 30-20. to 20. They win that game 30-27, to 27, then they lose to New England in the AFC title game. But what a year, and great to bring those parallels up. Um, I don't know if, if uh, Dave Waddell is going to get off a plane and ask the fans, do you believe in miracles uh, after a, a game like that? But, man, what a great season that was. And, you know, if you can draw the parallels there, a 17-point comeback yesterday, a 15-point comeback to kind of start that That's 96 run. It's hey, let's live in the past for a hey, moment. Let's live in the past for a moment. If you look at this 1996 season, the losses even kind of have some parallels. If you look at these early season losses, what they lost to the Houston Texans or the Houston Oilers at the time, 34-27. Close, pretty close game, right? All right, they lost to the Raiders. That one was 17 to three, not exactly great. But then you lost to the Patriots by three. You lost to the Saints by four. You lost to the Rams by three. Close, one-score yeah, games, one score and then games. all of a sudden it took one of those comebacks, and next thing you know, they're hanging out in the playoffs looking at the Patriots again in the conference championship. It's possible. That's way to get the, possible. the give the, the listeners a very, uh, very... Uh, handing out hope today. Yes, exactly. We're handing out hope today. Look, uh, it... This could be very short-lived. If they go into Kansas City and it gets ugly quickly, obviously all of the positive feelings from this comeback go away. The parallels to what a comeback can spark, like that could spark for a team, dissipate very quickly, and all of a sudden you go into the bye week and you're not feeling that great. You got three wins, and you're like, ah. But, but this is the type of win that can be that spark. This team, this franchise has been looking for a spark of sorts to kick that door in for years it feels like now and i think and it's this, just the consistency it, i think it's that again you don't have doug i feel like a broken record you don't have those self-inflicted mistakes right they had one of them in the first quarter yesterday and and the raiders wind up uh, converting that into points but other than that they played extremely well you did not beat yourselves and they had the potential yesterday after riley patterson doinks the 41 yarder off the right upright that oh great here we are starting again giving the Raiders a crack to kind mm -hmm. of take that. And here's that inconsistency we're talking about. Can't finish off a drive. Can't finish down as we get near the goal line. Uh, and they did not do that. To their credit, they stiffened up yesterday, and they did something that we have not seen them do often. They finished out a game. They did. And that's the positive that we can take from it. There were a lot of mistakes. And you're never going to see this team play perfect. And I can, we'll talk a little bit about some of the things a little bit later that have gone wrong for this roster and why you can expect some of them to possibly continue to go wrong. But they played a very good game, and ultimately it helped them walk away with a win. Part of that, the player Trevor Lawrence, he was very precise with what he needed to do. He decided to check down a Travis Etienne when it was there. He took what the defense gave him, didn't turn the ball over except for that fumbled pitch to Jamichael Hasty, which that was on Trevor Lawrence. It was a bad pitch. Neither here nor there. The Jaguars went back to the pitch. It worked, all, it worked out later. There's a lot of things that this team can take from this game, and this is the type of win where they can look at each other and say, hey, look, we won a close game. But not only did we win a close game, we dug out of a 17-point hole to get the job done. Pit, the defense pitched a shutout in the second half. Can we say the Raiders probably did a little bit of that for them, to help them out a lot? Sure. Of course. But ultimately, the Jaguars got it done, and they didn't go out there and make the mistakes that we've seen cost them 
for the entire month of October. And that's what, again, it was such a different scenario. You have to crawl out of a uh, huge deficit. You're down 17-0 at home. It's not even halftime yet. You can't cover Devontae Adams at all. He looks like the best receiver in the league. And you're thinking, we still have a, a almost a half to go of this game. And to their credit, and it, again, it's a different Jaguars situation because you're used to these dogfight games where you're in you know, a 17-10 kind of game, a 17-14 kind of game, and you're back and forth. And this one, they really had to kind of dig deep and come back in that game. And for some reason, Andrew Wingard said uh, during media availability today, he'd love to be uh, coming from behind in a lot of games. Bailing out of a big deficit mm-hmm. like that, it's easier to play when you're in those type of games, which is weird to me, you know, that I guess you got nothing to lose kind of mindset. It's it's almost like uh, everything, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Well, we've we, seen we what happens when the Jaguars have leads and, you know, then yeah. they go get caught. So maybe it does, it, maybe it'll work better the other way around. Right, yeah, and that, <laughs> that may be the uh, the best situation for them to fall in. You know, go down 10-0, go down 14-0 and, and come back from that as opposed to getting big leads like you, you had on the road against Philly, um, like you've had in some of these other games. So maybe a different strategy for them second half of the season. So some positives that we can take from it, the play of Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne's continuing his, I mean, at this point, I, I'm envisioning a Mount Rushmore of Jaguars running backs, and you've got Fred Taylor, Maurice Jones, Drew, and Travis Etienne. I mean, he's he's getting to that point. I think you get the play of those two. Uh, Dewan Smoot has, has looked like the fantastic. Jaguars' best pass rusher so far this season, uh, and it, and, it, and it hasn't been close. And it's not he's not even playing full games. And he's not even playing full games. He's not getting nearly the reps that some of the other people have, and he already yes. has five sacks this Absolutely. season. Absolutely. He is. Um, I love Dewan Smoot. He's got a motor. Yes. And he is in that probably that role, which is great for him, that he's coming off the bench, and he's getting 29 to 35 snaps a game and performing. He had two sacks yesterday. Uh, better season than Josh Allen. Better season than Trayvon Walker. More of an impact um, from Dewan Smoot than those guys. So, you're seeing some in identity of this team develop. And mm-hmm. could this game right here kind of be that that identity for this team to bend but don't break? You get us down by big and, and you can't you can't leave us for dead. So maybe this is maybe this is more of a Jaguars identity where you're in a, a game where you're having to catch up and come from behind as opposed to getting these slugfest kind of games and taking big leads in games right. and then watching them go away. And we also need to give Tyson Campbell some credit. I mean, he got torched in the Absolutely first half torched. with the with the rest of the defense. Second half battles shuts down De, uh, Devontae Adams the rest of the way. Uh, huge for a young cornerback to be mm-hmm. able to have that sort of rebounding half. They they adjusted a few things. Communication in the secondary changed a little bit, but overall, Tyson Campbell was the 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 driving force of slowing right. down Adams in that second and half. And Dewey Andrew Weird came in after Rayshon Jenkins left and. Had a great blitz on third and long and uh, forced an incompletion. He was, you know, a special teams kind of guy making big plays. So they looked so different after halftime, so much more confident. And again, a different kind of Jaguars team. We just haven't seen this team. Where has this team been all year? I, look, they've, they've been looking for it. No idea. So here's one of the things that, that I kind of took from yesterday's game. I know there's a lot of positives um, that, that, were, that are flying around right now because the team's winning. But... One of the things that we've got that I've at least taken from watching how Doug Peterson has approached leading this team and even the way he some of the things were approached for Sunday is that while he won't say that they're building for the future, they're building for the future. They are. Uh, you know, and so the question is, is that going to cost them wins in the short term? Are they willing to cost themselves games 
now to build for a brighter future next season. And I think and that's a delicate it's, it's a, a very it's a very line. delicate balance. I mean, you've seen Trevor Lawrence that sprint out play. I mean, he threw a terrible interception against the Houston Texans in that exact situation. Doug Peterson felt said he felt like he needed to call it again. Called it again. Trevor Lawrence throws a terrible interception yes. against the Denver Broncos. I can guarantee you He's going to call that play again because he feels like he has to for the development of his young quarterback. Call that play and let him execute it, even if that's executing mm-hmm. it, is throwing it 16 rows up into the stands. But he's going to call it again. Right. And, it's, I mean, it's the same thing we saw on Sunday, the pitch play. Mm-hmm. We saw the fumble on the first one. On third and one pitch play to Travis Etienne, we're like, ah, it doesn't, get, it doesn't work. He calls it again on the freaking goal line, and guess what? It works that time. He will keep not – he wants his guys to have confidence in all of these calls, and he's trying to build that up. And that's a good thing that you need, mm-hmm. whether you're going to be in the playoffs, whether you're going to be wherever, you have to have confidence in these calls, even if they don't work once. You have to go back to it. So, But that's where rubber meets the road a little bit, where some of the fans get frustrated. You know, People were upset when they saw Doug call that sprint out with Trevor in, in, against Denver saying it was a bad call. No, it's not a bad call. It's really supposed to be one of the safest plays in your playbook. Mm-hmm. It's either a two-yard pass, like Trevor's front, like almost two arms distances from the throw he's supposed to make, or it's get it out of bounds and right. it's second and one from the one-yard line. So it's either touchdown or incomplete. There should be no in-between there. And that's and why I died yesterday when they had the ball at like the six-yard line. They ran they, it. They, <laughs> with Trevor Lawrence, he instead of sprinting out to his right, he takes an angle and throws it to Christian Kirk in the end zone. Yes. There was no design sprint out. So we'll save that a design QB rollout for another week. But th- these are the situations, and the reason I bring it up talking about this game is because when you look at the defense, I don't know if a lot of people at home noticed as quickly, but at cornerback, while Tyson Campbell was traveling from left to right with Devontae Adams, the cornerback opposite of him, whenever they were in nickel, Darius Williams stayed in his slot role, but the outside corner was rotating. Trey Herndon would have one series, and then the next series would be Buster Brown, seventh-round pick rookie. Now, we've talked about Buster Brown a few weeks ago. I said the, you know, the Jaguars liked mm-hmm. what they've seen from him in practice, but now they're getting him those game reps. And, you know, I've asked Doug Peterson after the game yesterday. I asked Doug Peterson today, and his response both times when I asked, you know, what did you think of what Buster did on the field? He said, you know, this is his first game action. We wanted him to see what the speed of the NFL is like, and now he has a little bit more to build off of. If you're rotating a corner like that, like there were just one series, then next series, one series, then next series. It wasn't even situations. That's, we want to get this guy some reps, but we don't want to take all the reps away from Trey. Mm -hmm. That's just, okay, well, we need to get this guy. This is build toward the future. Right. Shaquille Griffin's contract, probably going to put him off this roster before next season. Do we have a guy who can start there next year in the rookie Buster Brown? And I think last this week is, we talked about that exact same topic. Do you see what you have? It's a balance. Him? See what you have with Buster Brown. And, again, you're rotating guys in. Trey Herndon, again, you know what you have with Trey Herndon. You yeah. know exactly the type of player he is. Right. Can Buster Brown be that guy? Can he be a, a situational guy that comes in when – a Shaq Griffin goes out for a period of time. So, yeah, I think it's a it's a great delicacy and it's a great balancing act by not – again, you've got veterans, you've got guys who want to win now, who, you know, their careers aren't eternal and you're not going to be playing for 30 years, 40 years. So, yeah, their, their time is ticking. You want to compete this year, and I think it is a very, very fine – kind of a gray area of when when do you build for the future and when do you say, hey, we're still in this, we can still contend. So I think that is an exceptional balancing act and 
that I think that Trey Herndon, Buster Brown is almost a perfect example of that. It, it, they did it with Buster. A lot of people will remember the butt pass breakup from Chad Muma. Mm -hmm. they, they took Devin Lloyd off the field. Devin Lloyd was standing right next to Mike Caldwell on the sideline talking to him. He wasn't, there was, they just wanted Chad Muma to get some reps. You have to see, they're at a point in the, in the development of this team where they want to be able to get these young guys some reps and see if they can play in the league. Go see what the game feels like. Be able to take that to the practice field. Oh, this is what I have to fix. Oh, this guy. Now you got film that you can look at. And that's where you have the delicate balance of moving forward with this roster is how much of that are you willing to, to do those things where you're going to say, okay, well, he's a seventh round pick, but we like what we see from him in practice, mm -hmm. but we're not, we know he's going to make mistakes. Let's put him out there for a little bit so he can get those reps to develop. But let's not, you know, throw him out there completely. Chad Muma hasn't seen a whole lot of time in games. Let's get him some reps so that way we can get ahead of that development, get him some stuff he can look at. But let's be able to pull him out so that way we don't cost ourselves too much. There, it's the balance of, okay, well, we got to see what these young players got, but... We can't, uh, we see, can't, too much. We can't see too much because we're, we're, not, we're not ready to you know, right. give up on the season. At some point, that's going to happen at wide receiver. they got some young guys at wide receiver that they brought in that they like that they're going to have to see if they can play. Tim Jones is one of them. He's gotten some reps this year, but has he gotten enough that anybody has a real comfortable mm -hmm. feel about no, of what he is? Not. Pryor's another guy. They got him from uh, Cincinnati, and people in Cincinnati were upset that the Jaguars were able to get him down here. So at some point, they're going to get him some reps, I, I feel like, so that way they can see what they've got. But they're not going to shoehorn that in at the expense of of a game, I mean, one or two plays can cost you a game, but mm -hmm. they're going to find opportunities. So that's the balance of like, yes, we want to win. Yes, we'd like to make the playoffs, but ah, we still got to see what this seventh round pick, we got to see what this this, mm -hmm. this guy can do. Agree. And uh, again, I, I, I think that is almost a microcosm of that, that Buster Brown, Trey Herndon scenario is really a microcosm of playing for the future, yes, but playing for now as well. I think yes. that's the perfect balance of that. Now, again, if Buster had gone out there and had a pick or two pass deflections, okay, maybe you, you give him a little bit more work than Trey, but I think that's the perfect, uh, perfect example in this situation of, again, you're, you're trying to win games now, but you're looking a little bit ahead towards 23, and, and can Buster get in here? Maybe he's a, you know, a, a backup for Shaq Griffin next year. So it's definitely a good example, and I'm all for that. I think the getting Buster Brown and seeing what you got with him, you know, five, ten snaps a game is, is ideal at this point. I'm all for it, but I don't think yesterday was the ideal situation to throw him out there. My reasoning behind that is Tyson Campbell, this is the first full game that he's traveling with a, with a wide receiver. First full game. So now all of a sudden you're swiping, flipping and flopping corners. You have to have communication. And then you've got a safety in the back who's, who's trying to shade over that wide receiver. So he's having to locate where Tyson and this wide receiver's at on every play. So now you're, now you're not only flipping and flopping your sides for your corner, something that you have not done the majority of the season, but you've also got your safety trying to figure it out. You've got an inexperienced guy that you're throwing in there. That, that was a lot of moving parts that you didn't have to put in right now. Mm -hmm. if, if it was just a week where Tyson's going to play this side and Buster and Trey would play the other side, I'd say go for it. You know, that perfectly fine. But we saw a lot of communication issues from the secondary yesterday. And I don't think that rotating Trey and Buster was the 
the best wrinkle to throw in there when you're already doing a lot more with those secondary pieces than you've you've done all year yeah, long. That makes total sense, and I think you may have seen that from the first the first half, the first <laughs> twenty minutes of the game, yeah. where those uh, communication issues were there, and that Trey got torched. Uh, Tyson was absolutely victimized in uh, about those first twenty five minutes of the game yesterday. So yeah, it may be a you know, you go in at halftime and you readjust and whatever they said at halftime, whatever changes they made, they worked. Yes. I mean, absolutely worked. So um, the struggles to begin with and um, whatever they, they had to do, and even in the end of the game, how many good plays did they have? I mean, Tyson blanketed Devontae Adams. I mean, just covered him up completely. Darius Williams had a couple plays in that second half that were very good. So whatever happened in that first half, whatever was said at halftime, did not carry over. Great performance to me by those guys in the secondary after the break. All right. Uh, to borrow a phrase from Andrew Wingard, they can't get wind drunk. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they have enough wins to get wind drunk, maybe wind buzzed. <laughs> uh, but they have a tough test this week coming up with Kansas City. Uh, we'll talk a lot about that later on in the week. But the one kind of matchup that I want to touch on today is Andy Reid, Doug Peterson. This is like almost like some karate kid stuff, mentor <laughs> versus his mentee. Like Doug Peterson played for Andy Reid. He coached under Andy Reid. I think this game, you know, we talked about how much the Philly game probably meant to Doug. Mm -hmm. This is another one where, you know, like he said, he, I asked him about it earlier today, and he said, you know, hey, once this game starts, the relationship means nothing. But for him to be able to possibly, you know, beat his former coach, yeah. beat his mentor, would mean something to it Doug. It would mean, so. It, just like yeah. a win in Philly would have meant to him. Yes. I think it would have been, you know, that, that game carried a little bit more cachet to him, maybe a little bit more meaning, though you'd never say that publicly. Right. Uh, he would say the company line, every win is a win. You know, I, great respect for Andy Reid, but yeah, of course, you're, you kind of want to prove you belong in a sense. Like, you're, you know, that's your mentor. And um, again, that you, how can that game not mean more to you if you're Doug It Peterson? definitely does. How can it, it not mean? It, it definitely does. And this is going to be a very tough game. They go into Kansas City, a Kansas City team that's only lost two games. They just came back to beat the Titans this week. Uh, this is going to be a tough game for this team. Uh, and, you know, it's funny, we were talking about it before, that the Jaguars had lost all the games in October, and it looked like they were going to lose against the Raiders, and everybody was, you know, kind of laughing and joking that, you know, this team will go in, then this team will go into Kansas City and take down the Chiefs, and we'll all be like, we don't know what to expect from them. And we really don't. Like, they might go into Kansas City and, now, and, and beat the Chiefs, or they could go in there and get absolutely destroyed, but... Uh, that that's almost a compliment to the roster that you know they have enough talent that if they put it together they can hang. Yeah, I, I, uh, I look at it kinda? as last year. Did anyone expect them to beat the Bills? No, not that, no one in the building. Roster. And you know historically was the biggest uh, win for Jacksonville as an underdog last year against the Bills that nine six game. Obviously you're not going to go into KC and win a field goal battle game uh, against Patrick Mahomes, but I don't think that game is is otherworldly. I don't think they, they go in and have no shot in that game. But again, to beat a Patrick Mahomes team at Arrowhead, it, I mean, that's an uphill climb for sure. I believe they're 10.5-point underdogs going into that game. Um, but to me, Jacksonville, if you win one to two before the bye, I think that's fine. You get into your bye week and you readjust. You come back. You got the Ravens at home. And you're looking at this closing stretch. You got the Ravens at home. Mm -hmm. You go to Detroit, a very winnable game. You go to Nashville, definitely not a, a kind environment out there. You haven't won there in forever. You come back home against the Cowboys on December 18th. 
You go up to the Jets. That looks like a very difficult game. You go to the Texans January 1st. Did you just call the Jets game difficult? They have like the worst quarterback in the league. The Jets just they beat do the are Bills winning. Yesterday. You're right. You're so right. They I, are winning games. I do okay. think that's a tough game. And then you close out at home against the Titans. So you look at that schedule. I do think that there are a few winnable games on there. The Chiefs game, I think, would be the most out of reach one among those. Chiefs and Baltimore are the two hardest games. I think so. Do you think Chiefs Baltimore and, over the Cowboys? Yeah, I think Baltimore. I think so. Over okay. The Cowboys. I, I think Chiefs and Ravens are the two hardest. Are are the two toughest games. The Cowboys, they're one of those teams that you you you, you know how they how the Cowboys are. They're they're up and down. You, you can they'll, you'll have them on the road. It'll probably be a very Dallas friendly environment, but uh, it, it I, I think that's a winnable game, especially with the style of defense that they play. It's not going to be something that surprises you. All the if the offensive line can hold up against the pass rush, we'll talk more about this later. But it, Trevor's had success against those defenses mm-hmm. in the past. So it's not some, I mean, they play the Colts all the time. Same basic principle. Lovey Smith's Tampa 2, same thing. I mean, well, not same thing, actually. But regardless, they've had success against those defenses in the past. Um, Dan Quinn's running the defense, so it's a cover three, my bad. So you saw what they did to the Chargers earlier this year. I'm not worried about that game. Not, not, I'm not as much as the Chiefs and Ravens games. Though, okay. To me, those are the two marquee matchups the rest of the way. Um, to, to me, because uh, I, I, especially with the struggles they've had against running quarterbacks, yes. Lamar Jackson could single-handedly just dice, and, dice them up. I mean, they gave up 100 yards to Daniel Jones. That is Lamar very Jackson's going to be sitting there looking at that like, if he got 100, I'm going for four. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm worried about the Ravens game. Um, and the Ravens and Chiefs are my two games. Now, here's the question. I don't want to get too far into the game, but... Do you think here? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a couple of questions at you, and we'll we'll talk about this a little bit. Can the Jaguars score 40 if they need to? No. Okay. I don't have faith in that. I don't either. I do not think the offense can can score 40. I think my max confidence level on them is like low 30s. I would yeah, I would say 30, 33. I think the Chargers game a total aberration, and yes. the Chargers were completely banged up in that game. Yes. So I think that's a different game they play now. All right. If the Charger, if the Jaguars go into Kansas City. And hold the Chiefs to sixty. Hold the Chiefs, hold the Chiefs to twenty-eight. What's the outcome of the game? I still think Chiefs probably I think win. Chiefs that game. win twenty-eight, twenty-one, something like that. That's okay, a good, that's a good game for Jacksonville. No, that, that but 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 that's a that's one you can take a positive away from. If you can hold the Chiefs under thirty, you can kind of go into the bye week feeling okay. Yeah. A little bit of a moral victory. Right. You held them under thirty. Maybe if you're within a touchdown when it's all said and done, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting because the one thing that we do know is that this defense, or not this defense, this franchise, has never stopped a tight end. That is um, true. They have never stopped a tight end. I don't, I don't feel they can stop Travis Kelsey. I don't know if Devin Lloyd has it in his bones. I don't either. Uh, because you don't have a safety that can match up with him. I mean, Rayshon Jenkins in the concussion protocol, and he's not known for his coverage skills. Andre Sisco... I mean, he, he's an over-the-top kind of safety. They'll, they'll put him in coverage one-on-one sometimes, but, I mean, I'm not taking him against, uh, yeah, against, a, against no, Travis Kelsey a, a like matchup. that. I'm not doing it. I mean, I, I feel like the only player on the roster with the size to try and do it is Devin Lloyd. The size, I, I mean, I think he has the speed, but do you really trust Devin Lloyd to, to go no, one-on-one with the premier, that's a, that's the a premier great tight end from in a, the league? Uh, a frame against frame. I mean, Devin's a big guy. Yeah. You know, Kelsey's massive. Huge. And yeah. 
I like that matchup um, from a size perspective. I think Devin can run with him. I just don't know. I don't. I don't know that that matchup scares me. It, it, they typically, it, historically, have never done well against tight ends. They have not. And th- here, and here's my two cents, and we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap up the episode after this. This is what I would do, and I get crazy with some of this stuff. They they don't get too crazy with where they move Travis Kelsey up. They line him up as a tight end for the most part, and they let him go play football. I would line Trayvon Walker up over him every play and tell Walker to chip him, hit him, do whatever, slow him down, and then let somebody on the backside try and and get him. Trayvon's not getting sacks right now anyway. Mm -hmm. At least slow down Travis Kelsey on your way to try and get to Pat Mahomes. I would, I would, and the reason I would let Trayvon do it is because Trayvon is a freaking tank. I would let it hit Travis Kelsey every play, one shoulder into him, see if you can knock him off balance, whatever, boom, go. Because, uh, like I said, Trayvon's not, like, he hasn't developed those pass rush moves, so he's not this elaborate guy. He's getting there, getting close. You know, the strength is there. If anybody can knock Kelsey off his balance, it's this guy. That's the only way, only shot you got, I feel like, is yeah, if you can slow him down at the line. Well, you know Devin Lloyd will be on him. And, and they have no choice because yeah, Foyer can't. If they put Foyer on him, no, it's going to get ugly. Yeah, No, it's got to be Devin Lloyd. It's I mean, Devin to. Lloyd Or they're just like going to try safety. to run zones the whole way around. He and runs like that's a safety, and he did in college, and I think he can probably run with Travis. I just don't know if he's got that guile and that kind of the ability to, to sense what Travis is going to do on some of those routes. I mean, as a rookie, yeah, and Mahomes and Kelsey are so in you know in cohesion. Yeah. The timing there. I mean, what would be ideal? And I'm not wishing an injury on anybody, but um, AFC Championship game in 2017, Gronk. The matchup with Gronk was just such a terrifying matchup to that secondary and, and how Jacksonville played defense, not being a man team. Gronk goes into that game and, and gets walloped early in that game, leaves with a concussion, and uh, that tight end was not a factor for that game. So maybe if, if they can do something on Travis, again, not not saying injure him or anything, but take mm-hmm. him out of the game somehow uh, where he is not effective and whether that's – how do you cover Travis Kelsey with so many other weapons on that team? Um, but it, it was an injury when Gronk went out in that Patriots AFC Championship game. Um, maybe it's Devin Lloyd shouting, shadowing him the whole time. Maybe it's Trayvon Walker lining up and uh, putting him on the ground or trying to uh, each snap. You got to, yeah, you got to do something. You got to do something, and and, and you're going to get a heavy dose of him. Last game, Patrick Mahone threw 68 times. That is unreal. 68 times. That is unreal. Completions. There's no way this defense could hold up against Pat Mahomes throwing 68 no, times. No way. So, and granted, the Titans, I mean, the, the Titans are what they are, and uh, they held the Chiefs to a pretty respectable outing. But I don't have, 20, fa- I don't have faith points. that if Patrick Mahomes is throwing the ball almost 70 freaking times a game that it's going to be a 20-17 to 17 kind of game for Jacksonville. I, I have very little faith of that as well. We'll have to see. We'll talk more about the matchup against the Chiefs later on in the week. That'll do it for the News for Jags podcast. We'll check in with you a little bit later on in the week next time. See ya.